Episode 284, The Rant, Samara Marsh, Delaware State Women's Basketball Assistant Coach, leading young women during a pandemic. When catching up with Samara, she'll do anything for the game that she loves, basketball. In this pod, we discuss her roots in NYC, her high school and college career, how she got into coaching, how she almost officiated, and what it's like to coach Division I basketball during COVID-19. All that and more, my conversation with Coach Marsh, now. The rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah. Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Neat Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter Neat Tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit neattux.com and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's referee rant, one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest by way of Delaware right now. I think you're in Delaware. Are you in Delaware? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, current assistant head coach for the Delaware State Hornets. Uh, also formerly from LIU Brooklyn uh, on the recruiting side, Manhattan College, also Monroe College. Um, also St. Peter's College in Jersey. And, of course, a alumni from St. Raymond's Academy in the Bronx, Mrs. Samara March. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. You like that I intro? I appreciate it. So you much. like that intro? I do. I do. I do. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's like a condensed version of, of everything I've done. <laughs> yeah, so that means your Wikipedia page would only be like one paragraph, if that's what you're saying. <laughs> So I'm really happy that you got on. Uh, I know we've been trying to talk for a couple of weeks and, you know, I, I, I wasn't surprised of the dilemma that you were in because Division One basketball is the only thing that's really going on for me. All of my college, so I'm on the lower divisions and I don't have anything. I, I, I don't even have any direction of what's going on, but I know the Division One, they're really trying to figure things out. Now, first, I wanted to ask you is how is that, you know, just all jarring with you, I guess, with your day to day with everything now it's almost November twenty fifth. We're, we're taping this on uh, what is it, Wednesday, November eighteenth. Um, yeah. How's everything with the anticipation of the season for you starting? We're getting to the point where it's like very exciting because games are right on the on 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 like the if, in basketball terminology. The, we're ready to jump ball, but it, we're just not quite. Where, you know, the, the referees are at the scoring table talking mm-hmm. or starting lineups. There's something's wrong with the lineup. They're checking the book. So we're right there. We're trying to get past this point of making sure that testing is consistent across the board um, and interstate travel, because that's going to become an issue if cases continue to spike. Right. And the cases have definitely spiked up. And, you know, I think that was a perfect opportunity for me to reach out pe- to people like you just on Instagram. And I remember the time I DM'd you and I was like, wow, I'm so excited to tell this person's story because everyone has a story. Everyone, whether they're far in, you know, in the NBA, outer space, if they were a middle school referee, I, I think everyone is, is really important here. How did you catch wind of referee ramp? I think the mutual connections on social media, I actually um, have a few uh, referee friends. And so I stay connected with them and their progress. I love seeing a lot of people when I'm on the road recruiting at the EYBL event. And it's a way to just stay connected with the game. Like all of us, and, I, and I'm speaking for people who play ball in, in the 90s and early 2000s, we moved into different avenues of the sport 
And um, I, I love my officials. You know what I mean? I even considered doing it before if, if coaching wasn't going to work out. A decade plus later, I'm still on the sidelines, but that doesn't mean I've given up on my my stripe screen. Well, we'll we'll see what happens with that, and, and that's such a good point. I'm I'm from that era too, but I'm I'm from Long Island, so that's very important to know because I think some people don't understand that, especially when they're just you know. I think about entertainment's rucker, right? You you think about when when there's referees yeah. there, you know they they're the, always the butt of the jokes, but it's like yo. They don't invite it. It's just any any old ref out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, correct. You got You got to be, you know, within the game. And you know, I I think also people don't understand sometimes that you know when referees make mistake, there's nobody that feels worse than the referee that made the mistake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and I don't think everyone ever thinks of it that way because we want to do a good job too. It's not like we coming out there like, yeah, I can't wait to mess up so I can get yelled at. It's it's not like that. Right. And I think right. that's that also comes from somebody that has been in the grind, right? Going from junior college to, to all the way to the Division One level because you kind of grow up with these people, right? You see people that are trainers and they want to get to the next level and then you see them on the road. And then same thing with referees. It comes from a like a, a, a building of equity from the same game that we all love. And of course, we all love basketball, but I think the past eight months have been completely crazy, especially with the coronavirus. You just mentioned all of the testing that's happening um, across the country and all the interstate travel. How has your coronavirus experience been? How are you? How was your family holding up? And, you know, going back to March, when was the moment that you took all of this really serious? Were you in the midst of your season? Uh, yes. And, and God, that's such a great question. March 13th, I can never forget this date. That was the day we returned home from the conference tournament. So March 12th, we were scheduled to play Morgan State in the MIAC uh, tournament in the semifinals. And we actually ended up the last game of spring 2020 to be played, the last basketball game. Wow. And at halftime is when we found out from um, our families that were sitting behind the bench and our athletic director that the tournament was going to be, at that time they were using the word postponed. Mm-hmm. But we were told that if uh, our game basically didn't matter, uh, for lack of a better phrase, they were going to let us finish playing it, but there was going to be no winner. They were just going to take the number one team from our league to go to the tournament. And then the next day we found out the tournament was canceled. Mm. It went from postponed to canceled. Right. Um, so, I mean, like, we, we made ESPN that night as the last game played. It ended in a one-point loss on a, on a, a block charge call. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we had we had last possession, but we ended up tar- uh, uh, ended in the charge, so we we lost the game. But it was really wild because at that point, our administration told us stay home for now. They told us at the end of March we'll have people come back. Now think about that. That at the time, people were thinking in a couple of weeks we'll be okay, and a couple of weeks turned into seven months. Yeah, seven months. You know, and you mm-hmm. think you think about those early days, March thirteenth. That's when. I think New York was just on red alert and it was only around that time, maybe 6,000, 10,000 cases over there. Now it's like 180,000 cases. And I think there has been a couple of just from the timeline perspective of, of different things that happened. So those first, first two months, we were all lost, right? Postponed was like mm-hmm. postponed, turned into postponed, turned into to permanent postponed, to canceled, to, you know what? I don't even know what I'm going to do with my life. You know what I mean? Especially like for me, what is refereerant.com when I can't even ref? Like I, I just can't ref. Right. So like, how am I going to, keep this going. Then I started realizing like there's people like you that have stories. And of course, now that there's time and, you know, I, I can't even believe how much I've done without refing and still got closer to the games, speaking to people like you. Um, but I, I want to say around Memorial Day was when everyone was like, you know what? F this. Like, we're just going to go out. I don't care. And it worked because everyone was outdoors. So, it, you know, we learned to live with the virus. And, you know, now that we're indoors and it's cold from where I, I, I know where if I went outside right now, it's 35 degrees and, you know, it's going up and people are confused because some people don't believe it. Some people are taking it real serious and it's Thanksgiving. I, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I guess what right. I'm trying to say is like, do you find that even though the cases are higher, it's like, do you feel like, especially like in the, in the, uh, just in the athletic realm, right? In, in college, do you think that we just learned to kind of coexist with it, try to figure it out? Uh, yes, because it's that, it's that argument of, what's the most responsible thing to do versus what, what, what's going to please everyone. And it's been like a real juggling act. Like our athletic trainers are doing everything they can with keeping up to date with the state mandates, um, the governor's protocols, 
keeping our athletes healthy, making sure that the PPE equipment is proper for when we have workouts and when we have gatherings for all of our teams, not even just for our women's basketball team. So I commend, I commend our coronavirus task force that we have at the university and the ones that we have nationally. And I mean, thinking back to me being a, a, a Bronx native, I really was looking forward to this past summer with basketball tournaments. So when those got shut down, that was a huge change. Like there's a summer of no tournaments, no yeah. basketball. Mm-hmm. That's usually the time where you reconnect with, with all of your friends. Right. If you're, if you have a busy winter schedule, you can't see people as much as you'd like. Um, so of course, when summer comes, everybody pops out outside and that didn't happen. And then moving into the school year and the athletes moving back, it was tons and tons of restrictions for the first five weeks of the school year we weren't even allowed to practice contact or all people in the gym at the same time. So we did split individual groups, one coach at a time, um, because they were still figuring out what was the best way to get this done. (sighs) That's that's just like a big vortex of like, just trying to figure things out. And I think you're just appreciative that, you know, you can do some semblance of what you love, right? So I coach a team in the fall. I coach a, a girls volleyball team out here. And they, what they did was originally they, uh, delayed it till September 21st. And then they said, yeah, we can't play that. And then now they're delaying it till March. And it's like, who knows, <laughs> right? Because we don't have the right. same resources that the division one level of the NCAA have. Um, you know, funny that you said that we talk about popping out in the summer and that's when we all get reconnected, especially like in New York city. That's when I mm-hmm. caught wind of you. I'm like, I know that bench at hoops in the sun at, at uh, Orchard <laughs> beach. I'm like, that's where, that's where I normally take my water break in between games. And it's like, damn, I would have bet you at this time you know what I'm saying? So it's like such a weird time. But, you know, I think about back in the summer when everything was crazy with all the racial injustice. And of course, George Floyd was the biggest one. Uh, just really quickly, what are your thoughts on all this racial injustice that's been going on? This is, is, is has hit hard. Being a black woman, being in in a, a, a sport where you meet so many different people, um, wanting to be respected, wanting to be appreciated, having brothers, have, you know, having, having parents that lived through civil rights movement so it's it's a lot of, of different emotions it's a whirlwind of it my my personal opinion is more of i want to see our people grow i want us everyone to be able to flourish so and, and i'm not a fan of brutality i'm not a fan of bullying i don't support it and i don't make excuses for it i think for us right now to grow the solidarity has got to continue to happen so the more even initiatives like this, the more we connect over things that we love and things that we share and hold close, I think it will make this better. Um, and realistically, violence just has to stop. Yeah. And we stand behind all our brothers and sisters that we've lost in the struggle all this time with the racial injustice and the the election and then all the coronavirus things for all this past eight months. And now that you're go- gearing back and starting your season, what do you think you learned about yourself during this whole time? How resilient I really am. Wow. I recognize that I've, I've been through a lot from from the career path uh, to personal growth. I, you know, I, I've taken on a lot of things, and I'm proud of myself for it. And and you and I even joked through text in setting up this this phone call and interview about how much each of us has going on. And neither of us made excuses for it. We just said, "Hey, we're getting stuff done. We're getting stuff done, and the call will happen." And so. Uh, while I was on the stay at home to now moving back into going into the office and, and, and having practices with the team, I, I love the fact that as each thing has come before me, as each obstacle, I've jumped over it. And, and listen, I'm, I'm no spring chicken, but I'm still young enough where people still look at me as a young coach. And for me, it's, it's all about continuing to be, to keep that going, like that energy. I think in, in working around college athletes, and being around college students, it gives me that energy. Like I, I'm every day at practice, I'm juiced up every single day. I'm juiced up. I'm juiced up when games, even more when games come around. So it's like, man, to be doing this this long and still have this kind of energy. I'm so pleased with myself. I really am. Yeah. When it comes to that enthusiasm, I could definitely tell that you have that. And um, just from just from reading your byline of how many you know, schools that you've been to, I mean, you could just tell the ambition of, of where you want to go. I don't even have to ask, but I will ask. But that ambition and passion for the game of basketball and sports in general came from somewhere. So having said that, uh, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school, and then college? 
So I grew up in Parkchester in the Bronx, uh, which is the neighborhood where St. Raymond is located. And I played basketball my entire, like, now this is my entire life. I started in the parks, I want to say around seven or eight. Um, I have four older brothers. So uh, going to the park with them, and they were into basketball and different sports. I had a brother that played football for a little bit too, but the basketball was my love from from day one. Um, in high school, I flirted with the idea of playing softball, but I got hit with a pitch, and it was like, nope, I'm never doing this. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never, ever doing this. <laughs> um, and, and it's funny, so basketball is probably the only sport I played organized, but I have learned the rules of every other sport. So I know how to play. I could, I could play volleyball mm-hmm. just because I, I had classmates or, or teammates that were two sport athletes. And, you know, I said with softball, I can catch, throw and hit. I just I was I didn't want to commit to it the way I, I committed to basketball. This is my basketball is my one true love. Well, let me ask you something. So you got hit by a pitch and I completely understand that as an umpire. I never played. First time I ever played like little league baseball. I got hit in the nuts. I was like, no, thank you. I'm, I'm driving the ball next day. <laughs> But the way I can relate to you is that for some reason, I have this knack for doing, for umpiring. And I've gotten mm-hmm. hit by a pitch and, and I, I can't get it up. Why don't you feel that way when you get your finger jammed when you play ball? Why is that okay? It's crazy. I don't know. I, I guess it's like, <laughs> I guess it's like you, you let you let a lot of things slide for the one you love. Yeah. I guess if I can see it that way. Uh-huh. So I, let, I love basketball. So I mean, like... And it's funny you pointed out I let a lot of things fly with basketball. And people look like, why haven't you quit? Or that it make you mad? I'm like, yeah, of course it may be mad, but I love I can't get enough of it. And with other sports, it just wasn't the same feeling. It's, with other sports, it's fun to just play without that pressure or without that need to win. For some reason with basketball, I have to win. Mm. So it's, 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 that's the competitive side that comes out. Mm-hmm. The other sports, I truly can just play for fun. Yeah. Well, one of the sports that I didn't play for fun was volleyball. And um, to me, it was like a different identity from playing basketball. Because w- when I played basketball, when the lights were bright, man, I-, I never showed up, man. I was just so used to I didn't play AAU. So I would always get these two quick fouls. So, you know, volleyball was like my respite of like taking it serious. And I just remember when I graduated high school and then was in the college, I was like, man, I want these Jordan 11s, man. Like, how am I gonna, you know what? I'm going to be an assistant coach. And I remember my first season, I'm like, I'm with my friends that I just played with. I didn't know what to do. They were doing drills. I was still acting like they were the friends. And then, you know, it, it grew into something that I really enjoyed. And the more time is separated, it's become more serious um, as an assistant coach. And, you know, I wanted to know what your start was in coaching. Oh, so this, this is crazy because I could answer this, uh, I guess, figuratively and practically. So, Going back to elementary school, my first organized team was in fourth or fifth grade at St. Raymond Elementary. And I was always like up on things basketball. I was a Slam magazine collector. I was an NBA fan, a lot to to my older brothers, I told you. And I also stuck around and I watched everybody play. So like I watched, this is crazy going back to youth. I watched the boys team practice. I would be at our practice and then I would stay after because I was in after school program um, and I would shoot around and, and work on my game. So you know how people come to you and ask you different questions, maybe a, about a sport. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like back to childhood, of course they weren't like super articulate, but I was always given pointers from back then. Fast forward to playing high school basketball, I got to play high school basketball with Shannon Bobbitt. Um, she's one of my very good friends to this day. Um, and she went on, um, for those of you that know, she played at Tennessee for past summit. So her and I talked basketball a lot back then and now. Um, and then in college, I started as a student manager and then became a like a practice player. Um, and I was on scholarship there too for that. And the same thing, giving pointers, working people out thinking the game, talking about it, hanging out in the coach's office with the coaches and just listening to them talk about scouts. And then so finally starting the camp circuit. So as a college student, I started working different camps, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, our own St. Peter's team camp. So I got my fix at coaching and officiating doing those because everyone knows when you work a camp, you don't just have your team. They make you ref other games or they make you ref the final game. Um, so that's kind of where my interest got in for the, the, the officiating side too. 
uh, working the Sixers camp, I actually was, one of the directors was Laura Harper's father. So Laura's actually the head coach at Coppin State now. But her dad is like a very famous referee in the Pennsylvania area. So he was a stickler. He wanted the camp to be like high level. So if you were there as a counselor, they actually gave you some, you know, quick refereeing, officiating pointers, and they gave you some technique points. Um, and so they would monitor and evaluate you there. Even though you were there to coach and monitor the kids, they monitored, they evaluated you on your performance as an official too. So at the end of one summer, he came to me and actually said, like, you have very good mechanics and very good technique. Like, if you're ever interested, stay in touch with us because we could help. So, like, that, and it, it's funny how things come full circle because then moving into college coaching in 2008 um, at St. Peter's, um, now I'm actually coaching. But now from the sideline perspective, I can look at the game and I can ask questions and not sound like a fool mm. because I'm, I'm having these officiating conversations with friends, with teammates, um, with coaches, that kind of thing. Because you know, listen, and I'll be realistic, coaches, sometimes we just get mad and we're just talking because we're mad. We're, we're, what do they say, venting and ranting. <laughs> but, but other times when you really have time to consider or rewatch film, then you look at it from you guys' uh, vantage point like what, what you really saw and, and, and how fast the game was going and how it looked on the camera angles, then you get to see it differently. So that's probably was my start in it. That's really what got me super interested in it. And then, of course, working summer league, um, helping Joe and Randy Cruz out at Hoops in the Sun, getting to know more and more referees. These were the kinds of conversations I was having. And I love that. I love that because now I'm really, I really know the game. I'm not just a workout person, a, a trainer, I'm not just like, uh, those titles are all stripped. Now, I'm just the Mara who really knows basketball. And that's the respect I have around the city and, and around um, college basketball. Wow, that was, uh, first of all, that was that was amazing because you never think about a coach that can empathize towards a referee. Now, as far as for me, I'm a coach and I completely understand the game preparation that you have day in, day out. And when I hear the frustration of a coach, you know, I, I get it. You've been You've been working on something for four hours for four days in a row and they're not right. executing it on the court. And it's like, I, I get that. But some, you know, some referees don't understand it in that because they just think of it as like, I got a three o'clock game at Delaware state. I'm not thinking of, you know what I'm saying? So there's, 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 there's a couple of different ways, but then also at the same time, coaches can't empathize with referees. You know what I'm saying? Because they're so whatever engulfed and, and emotionally involved with what they're trying to do. And, you know, aside from not executing the game plan, you're thinking like, okay, well the ref is not helping us out either. So, you know, it's just, it's a weird balance, but, you know, I love it one and the same. Now, with your philosophy of coaching, what was it initially and how much do you think it's changed over the years? Uh, initially, I think I was just about the competitive side. And, and, and it's true. I think, honestly speaking, early on, my first coaching job, I really was learning that side of the game. Um, when you jump from player to coach, there are some uh, mental adjustments you have to make um, because it's not you anymore out there playing. It's a different, it's a different vantage point, um, and it means something different to you as a coach than it does as a player. Some things cross over, but not everything. Um, for me, initially, I think I was just all about competition, basketball, basketball, basketball. It, it dominated everything. Um, but then, as I matured and I found my own voice and I found my, I guess my footprint. Uh, for the sport as a, as a teacher of it and as a, as, as a, as a coach and a, and a mentee, mentor, excuse me, and a mentee. It was more about players first. And I was a person who, when I started coaching, I wanted to do it right. I am a perfectionist uh, in, in everything from academics to basketball to hobbies that I have. I have to do everything perfectly. So when I started buying books, this was, gosh, I was 22, 23. Yeah, when I started coaching, I bought psychology books. I bought biographies of famous coaches. So Tony Dungy, Coach K, Pat Summit, Calipari. And in reading all those books, they all had their own voice. So in forming and formulating my own voice, I recognized I was somebody who really cared about players and their experience. 
So players first and player experience is now my current philosophy. Mm. Now I'm mm. still competitive. That doesn't mean I'm not competitive anymore, but it can't just be about that. Right. You, your, your, your team's got to, when they say it's not a cliche, your team's got to want to bust their behind for you and bust through a wall. That's because they feel taken care of. So if you can get your team to feel taken care of, you will find a lot of success in this business. Mm. So I know you mentioned a lot of people that have helped you along the way. If you can, I just want to have the opportunity for you to state them, discuss your mentors, who they are, what they've done for your career, and how do you think they've shaped the way you've helped people after you now that it's trying to get into the game? Oh, for sure. Early on, I would say uh, Seth Goodman and Jim Robinson. Those were the two coaches I worked with at Monroe College during the five years I was there. Um, I still speak to them all the time, like every holiday uh, throughout the year, um, asking for coaching advice, um, asking for, or, because it's funny, there's similarities between coaching and parenting. So I even ask them, what would you do if this was your daughter or what would you do if it was your son? So they helped me a lot. I got to work for uh, John Olanowski at Manhattan College. He's now at Drew University as a head coach. So, and he's like, very, very um, exceptional on the X's and O's. So I get a chance to learn from him on that side. Uh, Sarah Jenkins, who's currently associate head coach at UD, she's a, a, a peer mentor. Um, she is awesome and excellent. And she's about, she's very close to getting, probably getting her own uh, head coaching job. And um, I always, uh, I lean on her and seek to her. E.C. Hill at Towson University. She's assistant coach there and a former head coach at Montverde. So I, that's really like, well, I like I like building real quality relationships with people who who love what they do the same way I do. Mm. You know what I mean? Because then it's an authentic conversation. I, I'd be remiss, excuse me, too, if I didn't mention uh, Priscilla Edwards. D.E., um, I still call her Snake, actually. That was her name uh, that Hammer gave her in New York City. Um, but I, I still call her Snake. She's associate head coach at Providence. She had a PE skills academy um, during a time when I was unemployed. I got fired from Manhattan and she allowed me to help her out at her camp until I found another uh, job in coaching. The next job I got was LIU Brooklyn. So I, it was about 30 days I was unemployed after I'm uh, losing the job there. But uh, she helped me out and I was able to train kids around New York City and help her out at her camp. So she's done a lot too. And with inspiring me too in this career because she's moved, uh, she's coached in the Big East twice. She's also coached in the Atlantic 10. Um, so she's someone that I really admire. Um, and Raven Johnson, she's currently the head coach at St. Elizabeth University in New Jersey. A uh, very good friend of mine, very close friend. And we've grown up in this gang together. Uh, so she's another person that I truly love and admire. That's so good that you have so many people and it's like a, a good holistic approach of trying to figure out, you know, bits and pieces to make your own imbue your own philosophy in the game. Let's say if you got, you know, a young buck that's maybe they tore their ACL or they, uh, you know, they, they, they ruined their leg and now they're like, you know what, I don't know what to do. Um, maybe I want to get into coaching. What kind of advice would you give them when they're at that point? That I would, I would be very encouraging. Um, more specifically, I would tell them I'm happy that their mind is, is thinking that way. Serious injury is tough on a person mentally. Um, but if they can see that while they're recovering and while they're working on their self, they'll still give back, like that's an excellent trait. That person is probably going to be a hell of a coach because they understand it's not always going to be about them. But while they're taking care of their self, they can still help somebody else be great too at the same time. Mm. Yeah, that's an important thing. I, I think in the beginning when you're coaching, you're like, Sometimes you still can't separate. You still want to play. you know. And same thing with referees. Yeah. It's like, I still kind of want to play in an adult league. Like, why would you want to play in an adult league? Like, <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do something real in this game. You know what I'm saying? But that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, this, this is a question that I don't think I've ever really asked in its totality. So, you know, when you're in the summer circuit, hoops in the sun, and you're at, uh, you're at Rucker Park, and you're looking at a player, and you're like, man, I like this player. You know, I, I think that's like such a unique skill because at least in those particular environments, you could tell somebody's competitive spirit or sometimes somebody's really raw. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like, I think recruiting, there's all of the attributes that you would look for in a basketball player, whatever that is, height, speed, 
right? Competitive spirit. But then there's also this intangible thing that you can't really put your finger around, but I feel like somebody like you has done that. So I want to go back all the way of like, how, first of all, how'd you get into the recruiting side of that? And what do you think it takes to master something like recruiting, especially in the game of basketball when there's just, you know, so many people. And I'm just talking from a referee's perspective. I feel like, especially like kids in the PSAL now in the Catholic League, I feel like they all dribble the same. They do all the same moves. They have all the same cadences now. And it's like a completely foreign language to me compared to like when I played, right? So like, what do you, what do you uh, just tell me, how, how do you master uh, recruiting and what do you look for? <clears throat> Ooh, that is a dope question. Recruiting has a lot to do with having an eye for what your team needs. So this is funny because this is how, how I look at it. I think a lot of people have a style of play or a type of player that they really love. So your recruiting is going to reflect that. I personally like hybrid players. Uh, so players who are not just one specific uh position on the floor one two three four or a true five um so when i recruit if you have multiple skills skills that allow you to play more than one position on the floor i like you a lot and then that intangible uh that you mentioned is like the guts or heart you know people call it different things uh swag it's, it's different things people refer to it but what they're all talking about is is, is the same thing if if i'm watching a game and now it's a critical moment or it's a, a big play needs to be made. The ones who can make it confidently are the ones you are going to be attracted to as a recruiter mm-hmm. because you know every game is not going to be a blowout. So the more you can get that uh, on your team and the more you can get balanced uh, skill and balanced emotion like that on your team, the better you're going to be across the board because then that means no one's in conflict with each other in terms of ball dominant this or this this player needs x amount of touches and no, those are nuances that you figure out when you're coaching and even you as, as an official when i go and watch men's college basketball or women's college basketball basketball excuse me or even WNBA or nba and i see officials like wow that was a heck of a call to make right. or they saw that like it was a critical part of a game and maybe let's say a travel happened or there was excessive contact on something and you called it like, yo, they got guns. Yeah. (laughs) But those are the ones that you want. They didn't allow, they didn't allow getting caught up in the game to determine, be the deciding factor. They really Mm -hmm. did let the players decide it. And if you foul or if you travel or if you, you know what I'm saying? At the end of a game and a ref calls it, I respect that. I do. Um, if I'm on the losing end, I don't like it. But again, like I said, when your emotions settle and you rewatch the film, right. they got it right. Yeah, it's like so. So there's I have nothing else to say. They got it right. And and when you're going into tournament play, those are the kinds of officials you want um, on the sideline. But I'm sorry, I, I get away a lot. Going back to the recruiting question, everyone's gonna recruit who they think is gonna execute their philosophy the best too. So along with having certain styles of play you're going to want the ones who who you know you can coach you know what I mean and um we all can't coach every type of player some of us can handle high emotion high intensity players some of us can't so you're it's I, I think it's it's knowing what you want um if you're an assistant coach knowing what your head coach wants and what they can do those are the best parts of recruiting mm. um and I and I started way back my first recruiting experience um was kind of baptism by fire uh, I was at St. Peter's. Uh, I was an assistant coach uh, uh, my first year. I didn't have any other uh, support staff title. Um, so I went on the road recruiting back when colleges, when D1 colleges could host AAU tournaments. So they can't anymore. That rule changed a while ago, maybe six or seven years ago, uh, because they thought it was a, a extra benefit for the coaches. If they got, if your school was allowed to host, a tournament, it was kind of like it was easier recruiting for you than for everybody else. It was like an unfair advantage. Mm. So they changed it. So now D1 schools can't host uh, AAU tournaments anymore. But I went down to BCU was hosting something, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, who, what tournament was it? Was it Blue Star? I can't think of the name of it. Can't think of the name of what it was. But anyway, it was at BCU. And I'm where I'm just sitting there with my packet in my hand. 
um, a little overwhelmed because I was by myself and it was my very first event. But I sat next to who was then the Niagara University head coach and she recognized me from the sidelines and she helped me out. So she said, if, if you're recruiting, you know, this is how you would organize. This is how you would do it. And then, you know, uh, the, the more you go out, then the, the easier it becomes. And then if you if you master it, um, you know how to do it without spending all day in the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 planned before you got there. You got your inside tips. You called all your connects. You got your names. You got who you're looking for, and you got your teams to watch. And then you can um, you can cut out all the, the the unnecessary stuff, and then you can make everything you do more efficient. Mm. So I've gotten to that point where I'm like incredibly efficient, um, and I appreciate everyone that's helped me, um, and also me being able to just hunker down and, and know what I want and know what my coaches want and have those conversations and, and be able to execute on that. That's what I enjoy about getting to the higher levels of, of the craft that you do, because, you know, people are so willing to help you, even though it could be an adversarial position where you would feel like maybe they shouldn't be helping you. But at the same time, it's always coming from a place, especially like on the officiating side. It's like, I can tell you everything you need to do. You still have to put in all the work. It's not that doesn't change anything, right? That that whole dynamic right. of you still having to put in 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours a week to get to what you want to do. So, you know, that's that's really good that, you know, especially like in the basketball community, everyone is just like completely helpful. Now, when we talk about recruiting, I'm assuming that you have so many memorable people that you have touched uh, from coaching and playing. If you can just discuss the most memorable players that you've played against over the years. Um, how about the other people that you've coached over the years? And who would you consider the players that you've coached uh, the most successful people in the game and also in the game of life? Okay. So starting with playing um, in high school, I was in the same league as St. Michael's uh, Apache was their coach. Rest in peace. Um, so I got to play against, Jennifer O'Neill and Kia Vaughn. Um, then moving forward through college in our league, that's very good players in, in the MAC league that went on to play professional basketball. I'll just start with the team I was on. Um, I played against uh, Tania Kennedy, who now works for the Big East Conference. She was on, on the team at St. Peter's, and, and she was a, a great scorer. She was phenomenal. I mentioned before I told you I played with, with Shannon Bobbitt. I also played with uh, Crystal Bellinger, who went on to play in the SEC and in the A-10. Um, she's a heck of a player. She had fame from N1 Mixtape, too. Mm. Uh, she was, uh, if you ever seen the clip of the girl that crosses a guy over at Riverbank, that's <laughs> Crystal. Yeah, so that was like, I mean, and it still rocks to this day. When people repost it, I'm like, that's so crazy. Um, <laughs> oh, man, we go way back. Uh, I'm trying to think. Now, as a coach, I got to coach some incredibly talented young women at Monroe. God, we, we had Shanae Williams who was a Bertram product and went on to play at Syracuse University. April Williams, who was a Bertram product, she went on to play at Robert Morris. I got to coach Bianco, who actually is an NYPD officer now. She was a grad transfer at LIU, uh, a Bertram product. And before the, uh, after that, she played at Monroe, Rochester, and Weber State. I can go on and on. Uh, Denisha Petty Evans is another player. So she was a grad transfer my second year at LIU. And this is crazy because she was on the team at Siena when I was coaching at Manhattan. So I coached against her and then coached her at LIU. Mm. So <laughs> that's pretty crazy when I think about that. And her and I are really close. And um, it, it's crazy because I have so many people in my head that I love. It's, it's when now when you're trying to think of somebody. Yeah, you sound like you you sound like you're gonna get in trouble. That's why. That's why. No, 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 not at all, not at all, not, not at all. But the, the names don't jump straight out because it's like I'm I'm thinking of team photos, like in different people I've coached mm-hmm. and what they're doing now and how proud I am of them. It's like unreal. Um, being in being in weddings. I, I went to a wedding, uh, for one of my former Monroe players, uh, Ava Parham, uh, Neil. And she is, she's a mom now. And after Monroe, she played at Norfolk State. So she played in the MIAC and now I'm coaching in it. So it's just like, it's uncanny the the amount of lives that have touched me. I don't really even look at it. Like I get thank you cards 
um, I get phone calls. Uh, players even call me on Mother's Day, believe it or not. It's like the best thing ever. Wow. But I, uh, for me, it was more of what they did for me. Like, I'm a better coach because I got to, I got to mentor them. You know, I, I get taught so much and I absorb so much um, from who I'm working with. And it, it really is a great feeling when they're doing well um, and when they become coaches, too. Um, a couple have. Kwamisha Lyles, who I coached at Monroe, she went on to Felician and graduated from there. And now she's coaching. She was at Hostos the past couple of years, and they won two national championships while she was on staff. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it, this is, I, I could go on and on. I don't want to, like, bore you. Uh, no, I, 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 just hope, I just hope somebody don't text you and be like, yo, you ain't mentioned me, man. What's, what's up with that? Come on, Samara. Like, oh, man, you know what else, too? Listen, I cannot, I cannot not mention Mr. Mr. Couch, Jim Couch Foundation, Uptown Challenge. Like that is, those are, that's my family. That's where I, I got to play summer league ball in Harlem on 130th and 5th. I love uh, them. I love his son, Sean, Marion Moore, Claudette, the crew. Th- 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 those are my people. And I mean, tons of talent has come through there. Mm. I couldn't, God, it, it would take me forever to name everybody that played at Uptown Talent um, and at West 4th too. Shout out to Janice Carter. Mm. So it's just been, it, 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 it's crazy how many people connect us and, and in how many different ways and people that I, I knew from summer league ball, I ended up coaching or people that I coached against in, in, in college, they became D1 coaches assistants and so on and even the, the the referees like when i see somebody from new york i'm like thank god i swear to you that's my feeling <laughs> when, I see, when, when we get the list because we don't you know we never know till right before the game yep. but when we get the minutes list and i see officiating today i'm like thank you god when it's somebody i know from new york <laughs> <laughs> i feel you i feel you and I, I can't wait for the day that um i ref one of your games um but you know, going back to just the whole coaching piece, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but I, I referee 11 different sports. And, and, you know, I consider girls basketball, at least in New York, it's a different sport than, than boys basketball because they're different mechanics. Girls lacrosse and boys lacrosse are different. There's one sport that I do not officiate is volleyball because I coach it and, and I'm just too close to the game and I couldn't do it. And I know you briefly talked about your officiating experience early on in your coaching career. I just feel like you're so deeply embedded in your coaching roots that why would you ever officiate? You know, like what, what would it take for you to get to the dark side and, and take up the stripes? <laughs> um, you know what? So this is what I, what I, what I am ignorant on. I don't know exactly what the full commitment is for officiating. I was more so looking at it like, because I know how much I give in coaching. Maybe that's a chance to still stay connected with the game without the same level of commitment. Mm-hmm. And not in terms of hard work, more time. Right. The same time commitment. Right. So um, it was like, hey, I, I could still be around uh, women's basketball or women's sports mm. and any of the summer league uh, sports if I if I was able to officiate. But it wouldn't be the same kind of time commitment throughout the year. So that that's really how I was looking at it. Mm. You know, you get older, your life starts to change. No, yeah, I get um, it. I get it. And also mm-hmm. just just I think the emotional commitment that you have, like I'm so attached to all the girls that I've coached throughout the years, you know, my current team. And, you know, I, I always think of a basketball. It's like, that is like way more turned up because it's longer. You going through like some yeah. real trenches with them. Like, you know, volleyball is a little dainty. You know what I mean? Like you mess up, they still go in between. They're like, Oh, it's okay. <laughs> basketball. It's not like, it's just like turned up the whole time. So like that emotional <laughs> investment, I think at least, you know, in, in some ways refereeing is kind of like a selfish endeavor, right? Because you get yeah. the, you get the involvement without the emotional attachment of, you know, of, of building those relations, you build relationships in a different way, if that makes sense, you know? Yes. Yes. I, I agree with you. I do. When it, when it comes to 2020, I think it's just a, a different time. Like I think about from the early two thousands of when I coach, like, and now like when these girls get water breaks, like they look at their phone, you know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> <laughs> they might do a little TikTok right before, like it, it just is so different now. And you know, what are those challenges to you uh, coaching today's kids and, do you think that social media and technology has been a plus or a negative with kids? And I also think it's something that we just have to deal with because it's definitely not going anywhere. It's getting worse, you know? Yeah, I think, I think we, we need to, or we should, we should be teaching them the balance part. This is a part of their culture, like, and, 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 and generationally 
this is like, and it, it's infused with them. You know, this is how they get their news. This is how they share their story. So I think trying to prohibit it is just going to backfire. You know what I mean? You'll get hit with a lot of uh, rebelliousness. If you just say no social media, no this, I think you allow it. And then I think you give guidelines. And this goes back to when I told you coaching is like, like parenting. So you're not their mom but, or dad, but you are trying to establish limits and boundaries that protect them. Um, because if you're a college athlete, if you're a high school athlete, sometimes what you think might be funny or fun could actually have you looking bad. And now it's international, globally, you're looking bad because things go viral. So unless you're in an industry where your personal posts and things don't really affect your, your status, I, you do have to be wary about what you're writing down and what you're publishing. Mm. For, for young athletes, it's more of have your fun, but be mindful if you're explicit, if you're obscene, if you're obnoxious, this is going to rub people the wrong way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's best if you stay away from that while you're under these limits, because college isn't going to last that long. You're only getting five years. You know what I mean? Max, you're getting five years to complete four years of eligibility. And the same with high school. Um, you have four years and you could go four years without being a jerk on social media. Yeah. It's, it's highly possible. So, right. so that's more of what you want to teach rather than don't use it at all or trying to strip them completely of it. Yeah. I think I also, me personally, I've made a culture change of saying like, you know, I think referees have always been in a situation where like, aside from just being in the circuit, I think before referees were, you know, they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be heard. And you think about just athletes ever using it, right? Like, Anytime somebody like Antonio Brown uses it, it's bad, right? Something, something bad going to happen. It ain't never going to be no success story of like, oh, yeah, he uh, he planted some flowers. and t- Like, that never happens. But you right. know, I, I also wanted to just prove from the officiating community, like, no, it's not going to hurt my coordinator. It's not going to hurt my assignments. It's not going to hurt my reputation as long as you keep it positive. Like, there's a lot of positive things that you could do with social media. I just think that people don't do that. But now I think since we have been, you know, so used to the pandemic and just communicating, I think it's kind of right. been like normal. So I, I think at the very least, I hope that I've put in some, some cultural change to go like, you know, referees can be cool. Like we can, we can talk to coaches. Like we, we, we're, yeah. we like the same game, right? We don't have to Correct. be enemies and, and I'm not playing against you. I'm just, you know, just telling you when, when things are illegal, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> No, correct. See, you make an outstanding point because I think it even helps boost the energy of your game. Mm -hmm. So, like, listen, some of us have reputations of antics on the sideline. We'll say it like that. And you get a certain officiating crew or you've been around the game long enough, people start to get sick of you. You know what I mean? So, like, if if, if you can have that that relationship with an official where they know you or they know when, when you're out of character, they know you well enough to know when this is not how you usually are. I think it brings a different energy to the game. I truly think it does. So my, my outlook is I'm cordial, polite, respectful. I can ask my, my questions in a respectful way. Cause assistants don't get to talk to a referee that much anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. but during timeouts, you usually come, reps usually come to us to give us the timeout uh, warning. They usually come to us and say, hey, you know, let number 12 know. Something quick because they know the head coach is like fully engaged. Right. So those conversations then blossom to if you see them after the game, after you guys have changed and, and, and then we could talk and, and things just shouldn't be volatile or shouldn't be weird. Like we, Like you pointed out, we should be able to talk to each other because of how much we love the one game we're both involved in. Um, and I think it does help. Um, you know, I've had to be acting head coach before. I've had to coach a game. And the officials were like, oh, okay. Like, it was like, like you are really great to work with. That was the, what I got. That was the feedback I got. Mm. Um, because I wasn't trying to do their job. <laughs> I was just doing my, staying in my lane. And I think, you know, the more we do that, the better it, it'll be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a really good point that, you know, I don't got to be I'm not a cop. You know what I mean? Like, you don't got to come at me like 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 a citation. Like you can talk to me like a listen, I'm not saying I'm not going to be professional. Uh, right. but, yo, don't, don't don't step to me like that. You know what I mean? Let, let, let's, let's talk about these things. 
Let's talk about these things before we get there. But back to you. After everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a as a basketball coach? Oh, number one, laser focus. Um, there is a lot of truth to people being good at something because it's all they focus on. So I put a lot of focus into my growth as a, as a teacher, understanding the game better. And then personally, when you're working in large groups, so it's, it's a team, it's, it's, if you're an assistant, it's the head coach and the other assistants. If you're the head coach, it's your entire staff, the support staff. For me, it was all about knowing myself and being secure because now I could work with anybody in the country or, or the world. You know, mm-hmm. if I flew out to Spain to go coach the Spanish national team, I would fit in because I'm never trying to do too much. And I, I just, I, I know what I'm good at. I'm secure in what I'm good at. And then if you give me responsibilities, I'm going to knock them out the park. Mm. And then I, I, I do extra and more. So that part, as well as being open-minded, the game evolves. I'm sure you understand that from your side too. People get faster, people get quicker, rules change, IQ and understanding change. So be flexible. That helps too. I, I mentioned earlier in the, in, in the podcast, I was fired before. Did that stop me? No. I said, look, I'm going to take care of, I'm going to do something to keep me involved right away while I search for my next job. So that's part of it too. Perseverance and flexibility. And then have fun. It's not the same kind of fun coaching as it is when you're a player, but you still can enjoy the game. And that's no matter the sport. And you still can have fun with it. You still can relate to people through humor, which I think is something I'm, I'm really good at. And I think that you also can expand on your network, but do it authentically. Everyone's not my friend, but... I'm I'm friendly with everybody, if that makes sense. That makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. Now, um, having said that, what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go as a basketball coach? I do want to be a head coach. And at the end of my coaching years, I would like to be on the athletic administration side. So you know, you know that I'm studying to get another degree and I'm trying to work on that and set myself up for an administrative job. But that's more like the end to end for coaching. I would like the challenge of being a head coach and that could be at any level. I've done summer league. I told you I've worked camps. Um, I've been acting head coach and, and it'd be, it'd be a great challenge. And I think it would be fun for me to take on leading a program and to get that. It's the grind part. As people say, like to keep grinding it, it specifically means establishing myself as someone who's ready, who, who's prepared for that next step. So it's, it's mingling with athletic directors. It's, it might be hiring an agent. It means getting together with other head coaches. It means building that network because you need people to champion for you when it all comes down to mm-hmm. it. And then it's preparing yourself. So, you asked me what my philosophy was. I need to now put that down on paper. What if some, if I were in an interview, somebody asked me, how do you run a team? I got to come up with a practice plan. I got to come up with a recruiting philosophy. I got to come up with offensive and defensive philosophy. So those are the things I'm now working now. I'm stuffing my portfolio with things that if I get my shot at an interview, these are the things I'm going to have to pr- prepare to do. So that's what I'm working on now. Mm. You, you, listen, the, the fact that just first of all, the passion that you have just emanating with this, I, I know that anybody that has been around you, they know how hard you work personally. So it's it's so easy to help somebody like that because they know that you're willing to do the work and people will always take a step forward to you. Did want to get back to the most thickest situation that you ever had. And I got three of those. What is the most thickest situation that you've ever had as a player? What's the most thickest situation that you've ever had as a recruiter? And what is the most sticky situation that you've ever had thus far as a coach? Don't get yourself fired now. Now, <laughs> as a player, it's it, this one is a little low key. This stuff, this one doesn't have so much with it. But as as a high school player, I remember having to play starter minutes in a big game. We were playing in a city. It was some type of playoff game, a city playoff game, or whatever. And um. One of our better players fouled out, and I, I had the opportunity to play more minutes, and I did I did really well. 
and and a lot of people were were proud because you know when when you're on a stack team sometimes it is and, and I don't know if it still is this way but for me it was hard to like it was hard to like stand out because everyone's so good and everyone came with the name but when I got my chance I did shine so that was, that's a great moment as a recruiter gosh I'll tell you when you have returning players right and what year was this? I guess I this is speak for 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 St. Peter's, for Monroe, and for LIU. When you have a returning group of players that is exceptional, but you know you have scholarship left, and you're trying to recruit and add, mm. sometimes you have to be careful it, 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 of bringing in players that are gonna totally flip things around. You want to bring in competition because you want everybody to be at their best. You don't want anybody coasting or slacking. But sometimes you can bring in players that kind of just they, everyone's not a good fit. And and I talked about uh, balancing the balancing act. And, and 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 think about this, you know, everybody. When you watch the NBA or WNBA, how many times have you been like on paper? You looked at a roster and said they look phenomenal, but All they the just don't play well together. All the, it's yeah. about it's about to happen right now with James Harden going to. Everyone's like, oh, that, that ain't going. <laughs> Exactly. Come on now. Exactly. Exactly. So when you're college recruiting or or high school recruiting, you know, for for those listening or whatever level you're at, or you're a DM, you're a professional DM, you got to make sure you don't bring in people that blow up your stars. You know what I mean? Or that that they they can't they can't find a way to, to find chemistry. So that that is something to be mindful of, and that's something that happened to me before. Mm. <laughs> so, and then and then you think like I, I got the best person, you know, for the job, and you're positive about it, and it's like, dang. Sometimes it's phenomenal, and then sometimes you're like, we might have overdid it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's a it's it's a cruel balance. It is you got to find a balance in it. And then as a coach, I will tell you, in my mind, I was ready. And, and I am ready for possibly be, being a head coach. So when I got the chance last year to be acting head coach at Dell State, I was like, cool. And then being so calm, that started to scare me. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you so calm? Like, you know, this is, this is the first time you're ever going to do this. You know, this game is live stream. You know, all the people are going to be there. And then it was like, you know what? I had to just stop thinking about it in that way in order to just execute it. And I've realized that about myself as a person. Mm. I'm a person who has to just dive into things. If I think too much about it, I'll talk myself out of it. Yeah. So it ended up being the best experience ever. We won the game. The players were like so proud. Um, and then our head coach came back and we continued on, you know, on, on the path of success. Mm. So those are, are situations where, and I guess the stickiest situations I've been are the ones that made me grow the best. Mm. That's that's good that you have that in your mind. You know what I mean? Because some people they don't relish that moment. But you know, you talked about how resilient you are, and have you realized that you always were resilient? You just needed the pandemic to com- completely understand that. Um, before I get into the final question, yo, is Delaware turned up for Joe Biden? Was did it get amped up? <laughs> we are. Listen, we uh we are out here. We truly are. It's, it's exciting to see because the most you could do right now is the the social media posts. Mm-hmm. But a couple of people like the. The, the few days after the election where um, it was finally called on CNN and this, they call it Del Marva, this Delaware, Maryland, Northern Virginia area. It was like dope. Like people started coming outside. People were like clapping and cheering. Um, they had l- little circles and pockets of people who were really pleased about the changes in government. So it has been, it really has been, there is an excitement around it just because a lot of people have hope and they have a vision of getting rid of, 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 of racism. Yeah. Like we gotta, like, we're not blind. You didn't, you don't need a college degree to see that something was wrong. Yeah. And so now uh, there's some hope that now there's going to be a swing, a new swing of things. And I think everyone is happy all across the East coast and the globe. I'm happy. I just learned a new word. Delmarva. I know this, that like the alternate <laughs> DMV. I ain't never heard of that. Uh, yeah. So like, if you, if you watch the news, that's how they refer to it. Damn. If de- you ask someone who grew up, around here uh-huh. that's not that's not what they say okay it's i was gonna different. say 
I was yeah, like, yeah, and and everyone's very distinct. That's more of like, I guess, a political term okay. that people use. Yeah, I was gonna say Delaware feel left out out here. <laughs> All right, cool. I mean, that's that's what Long Island feels like. It's like the five boroughs right, in right. Long Island. Oh man, right. I always try to tell I people. I got a rich history with Long Island too. Let's hear it. Okay, I have I have family that lived in Wine Dance and then moved to Longwood. I have uh, uh, two cousins. One played basketball at Wine Dance, another at Longwood, and then Adelphi and Dowling before it closed. Okay. One of my sisters moved out to Elmont. So I had a nephew that played at Sawanica and Elmont High in uh, Nassau County. And I know Drew. Okay. Uh, okay. From, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, Drew's yeah. my guy. Drew's my guy. So it, it's, I mean, like, I, I love it. I love it because once my family moved out there, um, I have other cousins that lived out there too. Like it was, it was the place to go. It was, it was suburban and it was cool. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I always try to tell people from Queens and Brooklyn. I'm like, if if you look at Wikipedia, it's it's on Long Island. You're Kings County, <laughs> Queens County, and I'm from Nassau County. Stop trying to get it twisted. You're from Long Island. <laughs> I don't care what you say. You're from Long Island. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's dope because listen. What I learned now is that when you're from the Bronx or, or any of the five boroughs and you get a little money, you're either going to Westchester or Long Island. That's what you're doing. Yeah, come out here. It's, it's beautiful out here. Now, um, in terms of your best moment, what is your best moment as a player? What is your best moment as a recruiter? And what is your moments th- what is your best moment thus far as a coach? As a player, it would be my sophomore year at St. Peter's, uh, the coaches called me in the office and told me that they had a scholarship left over and that they were giving it to me. Um, so I went from, that was at that point where I went from manager to practice player and everything was paid for. I really, like, I, <laughs> that was, like, super dope. So a lot of people don't know this, and I think I said this on um, another podcast. I got to college on an academic scholarship. Um, so everything was, was covered on the academic side, full tuition and all of that. So when I got the basketball scholarship, it was super dope because it meant that hard work really does. Like you, you, you are rewarded when you're busting your behind. So that's, as, as a player, that's probably it. You know what I mean? And no, I wasn't traditionally recruited to St. Peter's in that way, but it was still dope to say I had a D1 scholarship because I did. That was the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't take that away. Can't take that away. Exactly. 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 And then uh, as a recruiter, I have several. So I'll I'll just I'll just narrow them down. I have back to back national championships at Monroe College. So two times in my five years, we were the number one team in the country and we we smoked everybody to get it. And we just had talent out the wazoo. So the recruiting we did in the New York and the Maryland area, because that's where we had most of our players from, from Maryland and New York, was phenomenal. And we just built two really fantastic teams that could take anybody, that could beat anybody. And now as a coach, being a, listen, staying alive in this industry, disappointments haven't stopped me, even really great moments, you know? I could have had one really good moment and bowed out on that, but I keep sticking around. So that means my story isn't done yet, and that means there's more for me. Mm. Yeah, and that, that's a great way to tie it up. My final question for you, you've been involved in the game so much. I mean, you you stuck it out, got that Division One scholarship. You've been in around the game as a coach. Of course, you even flirted with officiating, and you're talking to me, talking about basketball. What does basketball mean to you? What is it given to you in your life? It, it's everything. It, it's my love. It's given me my best friends. It's given me a network of uh, people like you, Drew, Joe and Randy, who are family. You know, so the, we're so close. It's like, uh, it, it, it's, it's unreal. And it's given me a purpose. Uh, I have a reason to be doing things. I have a reason to give back to my community and, and, and sharing. And I mean, listen, I live in Delaware right now, but I'm still New York. You know, we have a young lady from the Bronx on the team right now. And I tell people that jokingly, but it's true. Um, I always got to keep somebody from the five boroughs mm. around me. It's, it's normalcy <laughs> for me, <laughs> no matter where I'm coaching. So that's what it is. I, I know what my give back is. I know what the game gave to me in terms of that spirit, teaching me how to work with large groups, helping me step into who I'm supposed to be as a leader understanding that so it, the, the game is 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 dope i mean 
my favorite movies are are basketball movies. And and I don't want to sound corny. I just I just want to be be authentic and real. Yes, it's a part of my life. Yes, I do a million other things. But most of the time, when I make a new friend or meet somebody or date someone, it's got to do with basketball. Mm. We met through that. Some way, shape, or form. That's how we met. So I, I, I love it, and I, I can never turn my back on it. No, I, I feel you. I feel the same exact way. I just hope that people understand because I'm a ref. I still love basketball. I, yo, it, it's the best. Seat. Let's first of all, I I play. Shoot, I played what like two minutes a game, maybe on average in my my varsity seasons. I I never get off the court. There's no sub for me, right? I get to know right. the rules. I get to know the coach. I I get to be on the front stage, and it's a thrill to referee all of these young men and women throughout the season. It, it's an honor to me, and it's and it's been a, an honor to speak to you. I always knew that this was going to be dope. I didn't know it was going to be this dope, and I hope you feel the same way. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? Uh, yes. For anybody, if I did not name you, flame it on my head and not my heart. I love my, my, my family, my New York City basketball family. It's, and you know it's so many of y'all to name. I appreciate all my, my officials that come through. I even love commenting on your posts. Whenever you post something, if I recognize them, I'm like, oh, let me leave a comment. I love mm. them. Because this is how the game, specifically women's basketball, is going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are talented, who stick around and, and give to it. Because if we all just dropped it and left, it would it would be stagnant. So I am I'm appreciative of of everybody who's contributed to me and my success. And you know I'm just a phone call away for anybody. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I look forward to you yelling at me or whatever you want to do during timeouts. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully at some hopefully Orchard Beach will be open next year so we could uh, get our hoops in the sun in. But uh, for Samara Marsh, this is Ralph the Ref. This is the rant. We are signing out of here. Peace. <laughs>